एक मिनट रुक जाओ रेडी होने दो चलो ये कर लेते हैं अक्षय हाय दिस इज सौरभ and you are listening to the founder thesis podcast we meet some of the most celebrated startup founders in the country and we want to learn how to build a unicorn hi um i'm hari and i am the co-founder at great learning Even though 2020 has been a really horrible year for young working professionals, there has been a silver lining to it. That online courses have not only become mainstream but are readily accepted by employers looking for great talent. It is now really easy for a young working professional to upskill on new age skills like analytics, digital marketing or machine learning. Today's guest Hari Krishnan has been partly responsible for this trend. He founded Great Learning. The startup is not only the trailblazer in the segment but is also the largest Indian startup in its category with an annual turnover of more than 300 crores. Here's how Hari empowered lakhs of learners to enhance their careers. So what was it like growing up as a Mallu kid in the Hindi heartland? <laughs> I don't know how things are now but at least then there was always these uh, biases and prejudices uh, now of course cities are a lot more uh, let's say cosmopolitan in the sense that you know there are people from all over the country uh, residing in most of the cities right but at least then it was not like that though there were a lot of south indians in bhopal even then uh, most of them would definitely be north indians and many of them would be from you know uh, their natives would be in madhya pradesh the embarrassments used to happen because you know there would be usage of hindi or terms of hindi that you know i would not understand or i would call it wrong like give me an example <laughs> so so i remember this that you know i used to call those there's another city called indore in uh, in madhya pradesh so i used to call indore as indore <laughs> i've had embarrassing situations like that uh so i think that is one something that you know friends would always kind of pull your legs on but uh, otherwise otherwise it was all fine so towards the end of school you had that iit kind of a goal only i'm guessing but and then you got into kerala for your uh, btech you know most kids then engineering was the stream of preference so that's what i chose and then iit becomes like you know the natural goal to aspire for and uh, academically at least uh, i was good enough to believe that i could make it then this whole kind of uh, rituals of tuitions and all of those start right and and usually the performance used to be fine in those so there was there was an increasing level of confidence that you know yeah this could happen after the iit entrance in 12th when i did not make it i was i was quite disappointed and uh, that is when i and at this this the other national entrance and the seat in kerala had already happened but i you know i was like no no i am not going to go to kerala and study in some you know uh, government college that's not what i want to do so i i decided to take a break you know after 12th and i was pushed off to kota and that was hell for me you know there is no phase of life that i hate as much as those 9 months there but why did you hate that period 
I just could not relate to it. Uh, I think uh, one was that I probably was not comfortable kind of going there in the first place. Uh, it's not a decision that, you know, I could take. My my parents thought that that was the best thing for me then. And I did not have the confidence or the courage to tell my parents this. Essentially, I just kind of lingered around there. And uh, my performance after that break was actually even worse in JE than before. And then I just decided to go and take up that uh, engineering seat that I had. and basically just kind of take it on from there and how was that experience studying in kerala what was that like and was it a better experience than kota i think it was definitely a better experience than kota because there as an engineering colleges you will make friends and you know life will try and kind of figure out a way right you will you will build it block by block and you know you will have some very good memories some great experiences of that but because you know what preceded me getting there was not very pleasant i took a lot of time to frame a positive uh, you know outlook one of the things that really helped me was that one of my closest friends who was also you know with me in school and who also happens to be from a very similar background like me who was also a mallu he also got into the same engineering college so at least i had one companion that companionship helped me a lot to kind of find my footing um, and once that was done then i i was in some sense uh, able to get on with life and uh, then towards the end of uh, engineering what what were you like by the time you finished the course like how did your personality change during the course so in the engineering college uh, you know i again kind of realized by the third year of engineering is that i was not at all for these technical careers and i was i was pursuing computer science engineering and that's when uh, you know i started uh, hearing about cat and uh, you know the business schools and options and all of that stuff and and that's when i decided that you know probably that is what i should do not because i knew a whole lot about an mba education is or what are the kind of careers that exist post an mba or whether i would kind of like that at all but largely because i was uh, sure that you know i could not see myself being software engineer uh, so you started preparing for the cat in your final year only in my final year yes so i think the institute was time so time in trivandrum is where i used to go somewhere in the early half of the seventh semester or so i decided that okay this is what i want to do so let me give it my best shot to i i did not want you know the same episode happening again that i am aspiring for thing and i get somewhere else and i you know continue to you know view the fact that i missed an opportunity so i wanted to be more certain of what i am doing this time the tough decision that i had to take was that you know that was also placements time right so there were also early placements happening uh, so i had to kind of choose whether whether i sit for companies or do i keep my focus and just prepare for this and uh, i chose the latter uh, because i knew that you know if i get a safety net i would not push myself hard enough so i i decided to uh, purposefully not kind of go for placements and go for uh, you know go for company interviews or try and get a job that was i think uh, probably a risky decision and one of the few risky decisions i taken till that point in life and it was a decision that i took myself right i it's not as if somebody forced me to or and uh, then i took cat uh, much to my disappointment i think the only kind of iim that i got a call from was iim bangalore so beyond iims uh, you know i had blight mdi mdi spjn and iimt i think uh, so iim bangalore uh, you know i kind of really screwed up in the interview one of the professors in the panel probed me deeper on my knowledge of computer science engineering <laughs> so right out of that interview i knew that you know uh, this is not going to happen you know because i had no idea in terms of the questions that were asked and i and the few questions that i did have an idea to uh, i did not answer them convincingly at all and i chose mdi over i and uh, so did you have a better approach towards learning once you got into mdi as compared to your btech 
I think it was slightly better. And I'll tell you why was it better was that I came into MDI kind of running away from computer science engineering, right? Because I knew that I can't be a software engineer, right? And one thing I told myself is that, uh, listen, this is where it stops. Now, there is no other uh, path after this, or at least I did not kind of, you know, consider it. And you're here because you did not want to do something. So now if you're here, then you you start learning and doing better at it. So there was, uh, I think, again, it was, a, it was a mixed bag in the sense that the courses that I liked, I really enjoyed learning them. I used to do fairly well at them. Entrepreneurship was a subject in the same second year and, and by that time I had already kind of cultivated an interest in entrepreneurship so so that's something that I really like uh, but there were not a whole lot of courses back then in entrepreneurship I think there was one or probably two courses at max I wanted to learn finance well but uh, but somehow I, I never got around to learning it well that was always uh, you know a weakness for me and uh, other courses in terms of you know organizational behavior and HR and I think uh, though they are extremely important courses today in like in the phase of life where I am right now but then I just did not have an appreciation for it and also because you know i went into mba right after college right so i had never worked anywhere before i did not even know what, what kind of problems exist in organization everything was academic so what was your internship about my internship was uh, actually in sales and distribution management as soon as you enter your your thoughts are formed by what you hear from your seniors and what's happening in their careers right and, and your super seniors rather because your seniors would not have gone and and then those initial few months of classes and you will kind of start saying that oh you know marketing is interesting for me so that's that's the journey that i went through like all marketing students in a business school or at least then you know uh, fmcg companies were the dream companies to work so i said that okay that's that's where i should work right i really need to get to that to understand that better uh, as a first step i got into the placement committee i was lucky enough to you know within placement committee also you have sectors right that you work that's how the placement committee gets divided so i i, I got allocated to the fmcg sector itself uh, so i got an opportunity to talk to recruiters and then talk to seniors you know trying to understand what kind of roles do they play and all of that world kind of seemed very very exciting for me so in my internship i was uh, very focused that what i want is an fmcg internship that's how i landed up in asian paints first two weeks i was in bombay and then i was in bangalore for the next uh, two and a half or three months so they had from what i remember now uh, asian paints had just launched its category of uh, premium products what is now called the royal and the royal play and stuff right what it was called back then but they just ventured into that and they wanted to do on-ground study of you know dealers and distributors in bangalore try and understand that you know how will this get perceived by their customers and there was some kind of consumer behavior and some kind of analysis to be done post that and and how to how do we choose which are the right distributors and dealers or, or retail stores where this should get showcased and how will the i think a, a small part of it was in terms of how our targets defined and stuff like that so so then towards the end of your mba what was your mind frame like so then when i came back from internship i said that okay this is one option but then this is what one's work life is going to be uh, and is that something I really want to do because it's not it's definitely not as glamorous as I thought it and again because uh, I think it's largely because I had never worked anywhere before that's why this these thoughts of you know a glamorous role and a glamorous job were there but that's not how it looks like and that's when I thought that you know I should at least spend some more time thinking about what what are the other options and interestingly it's around that time by the way that one of my school friends he moved from Bangalore to Gurgaon this happened in my second year uh, 
uh, at MDI. He is the one who told me about, you know, there is this whole thing of startups, right? You can actually start something because he was very interested and because he was from, uh, you know, he was from an IIT. So he had those examples, various IITians doing it. Uh, he was like, you know, uh, he's the one uh, who got me thinking around that. We should look at it. You know, it could be a real opportunity. We could build something very worthwhile for ourselves and it's not as if you know people don't do it people do it it's just that we are not aware of it and that's when i started actually seriously considering this as an option thanks to him so you had the idea formed by the time placements came around that this is what a startup is going to be or you just knew that i'll do a startup and uh, we'll figure it out along the way uh, so me and Dero, we kind of decided that, you know, we should really give this a shot. So then almost the next two trimesters were completely focused and that placement probably happens between the fifth and the sixth trimester somewhere around that time. So so that one trimester, it was completely focused on what should we be doing? What should we be starting? Right. So that's, you know, MDI did not have an entrepreneurship club. Uh, and uh, I rallied with a few of my friends just to see if they were interested. And we started a small entrepreneurship club. Through that club, we got to interact with more entrepreneurs. One of the interactions I remember was with uh, Mr. Sanjeev Bichandani. As we spoke to more and more people, what we realized is that there are living examples and living role models of folks who have done it. So those interactions really helped. And and then we started debating and talking about different ideas, doing you know uh, doing research on different ideas. And uh, I think around placements or before placements, we had our first idea and we were sure that this is what we're going to do. It was called Book Genie. And, and the idea was think of it like a Netflix, but for books. And Netflix then was different because then you were, you know, they were mailing in DVDs. Think of the same use case, but for books, right? It's not as if you have to go to a library, you know, through a website, you can create a reading list and we will, uh, you know, mail in the copies to you uh, or the books to you and uh, you then send them back to us. And it's a monthly subscription model. That was the idea which we wanted to launch. And we'd given it in Book Genie. We'd done a bunch of research, spoken to uh, multiple folks. And then we started working towards, uh, you know, how to how to source these. Because both Vaibhav uh, and me both come from very similar backgrounds. Uh, no one in our family has ever done any kind of venture or business. And it's not as if there's a lot of capital one can kind of bank upon. So we were pretty much starting from, uh, from scratch and with very little in hand. So we started talking to various book distributors uh, to try and see if we can source books spoke to a lot of uh, secondhand book dealers and we even we even got started with that so around around the placements time that was that is what we had decided that this is the idea that we could work on and then, so we launched it uh, but and we realized to our uh, you know dismay that nobody really cares about reading books did you launch it for like academic books it was actually not at all academic. It was mostly uh, fiction, non-fiction. So the first challenge that we had was that, how, you know, books are expensive to buy. Uh, and you had to keep multiple copies, right? So how do we kind of get the money to buy that? Uh, so we raised some money from, uh, you know, friends and family. Not a whole lot. I think uh, back then it would be like a few lakhs probably at best. Uh, and we, we kind of created uh, an inventory of books uh, that we could go with. And then we thought, you know, there are people who already have a good book collection. Why don't we go talk to them and tell them that why don't you loan out books? We will source it from you and we'll return it to you. Uh, and of course, you know, you'll get paid or you'll have a free subscription so that you can get books from other people. And we thought that it was a really cool idea that would bring down costs. We don't have to buy books and all of that. And then we realized that, you know, books are something so personal that people don't like sharing it. I mean, they may share it with their closest friends or family, but definitely not with strangers. 
so that was not going to work you know they they were very particular about the fact that you know i i'm not going to trust a stranger with my book uh, so we realized that's not going to work either then we spoke to a bunch of uh, second hand book distributors went to those guys tried to cut deals with them sold a little more books so then two realizations happened one is that the interest in reading books is nowhere close to what we thought it would be people like to claim they read more books than they than what they actually do so yeah so we got hit on both those sides right even the folks that said oh i'm an avid book reader actually they're not and the other bit on inventory what happened was that we tried to create i won't say it was a vast collection but at least we tried to create some diversity in the collection but what we saw was that everybody or there's a huge demand for a small set of books so uh, you know jeffrey archer books and you know uh, fiction few fiction authors everybody wants to read the same kind of books so what we had thought was that okay if you've already read uh, jeffrey archer we can now recommend you to another fiction right taught by jeffrey archer but by somebody else. because when you so these second hand books right they really can't give you the you know the best selling titles you we realized that even that is not a behavior that exists so i think overall we did that for about 7 uh, 8 months and by then i had finished uh, you know business school and all of that and bever had also quit his job you know we realized that okay this is not going anywhere uh, and that's when we uh, we then started focusing on what do we do next from there you know what you know, how we now it's called pivot but you know whatever we called it then what's the next thing that we do and that's how uh, we, our, our next venture then was uh, we called it zipify so it was a, it was actually around couponing so you know then what was happening was that groupon was a big thing in us right uh, this whole social deals and stuff right so you'll have like number of people who collect for it, or number of you aggregate demand and um then of course when we started couponing and zipify snapdeal uh, in their earlier avatar they were called money saver we and money saver the two of us used to compete a lot uh, in terms of you know, getting the same brands no but uh, tell, tell me exactly what you started we would go and tie up with brands uh, and tell the brands that you should offer coupons on our website and i mean it's important to note that then people do not have smartphones or anything right so uh, the only way to kind of redeem a coupon would be to download it take a print out when you go to a store so that's what we would do and we tied up i think close to 80 to 90 brands what we were hoping to do is that uh, you know these coupons to consumers would stay free but brand should start paying us because we are getting good business because what we knew is that consumers are not going to pay uh, or at least we had no reason to believe that they would pay for a coupon even globally the way couponing works is that you know for the consumer it's free and for the brand kind of uh, either subscribe to it or there's some kind of payment uh, model there uh, so that's how we started and uh, it was it was not very hard to sign up the brands even with a very bare bone team we i think in zipify we probably had five or six people even with a very bare bone team you know we were able to sign up 89 and good brands you know like uh, within apparels things like nike and adidas and so on lots and lots of food restaurants and pubs you know both us and money saver uh, erstwhile snapdeal so uh, you know both of us used to go to these i mean we we would have very frequent run ins we are pitching to someone and right after us they would be pitching or we are pitching after them or they would say oh, but we are already doing it there okay we'll give you the same offer so uh, what we realize is that these brands i mean they it's, it's easy to get those they get those coupons from them what is stuff is that they're not going to do anything exclusive for you what they're doing is something that they're doing with you know 100 other people and you are basically uh, just another place for them to list those coupons that, 
that is the way they're looking at it that power equation wherein uh, you kind of say that oh i'm going to send you so many customers and that's why you know you should give a deal to me very very hard to achieve. especially with the big brands it's almost impossible to achieve uh, you are a very very small player for them and they would not want to part with their margins beyond the coupon or you know give you anything exclusive to that measure uh, so that what we realized but we still we still kept doing it because at least here we were seeing transactions happening we were not making a whole lot of money but we were transactions happening people downloading so we kept doing that and uh, i think so zipify in that form we would have done for about close to one one and a half years with this whole thing bit you said you had five people team so was the business making enough to pay those salaries no not at all so uh, after book genie you know what we realized is that we uh, we absolutely have no money so we had to figure out some uh, you know sources of revenue what i used to do was that i i started teaching at time so there were two things that i would do one was teaching at time and the other was you know uh, i got in touch with a bunch of our seniors from mdi who, who were either running their own ventures or were running their own consulting uh, you know organizations and i would take some work from them and get paid for that so get our seniors name but there was the senior president of hyderabad he used to then run and i think an edtech company you can call it now uh, but the focus was that uh, it was essentially homework support for students based in us so for essentially what that would mean is that students in us you know whenever they needed homework support they would probably upload it to his website now he needed to have an army of people who could solve those uh, but you know of course he can't employ people full time because that will be huge cost for him but it essentially used to be freelancers who would help so i became one of those freelancers and these are mostly you know uh, school level mathematics science questions but it was time consuming because you would get paid only when you do you know an x number of uh, homework support and stuff right so i used to do that on a you know most of my weekends or a good part of my weekends would be consumed by that that used to get us some money then uh, time i used to teach every day now if i remember my days used to start around 8 o'clock or something so 8 to 10 those two morning batches and then you know, two evening batches again from 8 uh, so about four batches every day i used to chip time and then i think they also had another time that i used to go to so two or three time centers i used to go and i used to teach so i think that was essentially what was kind of uh, getting us money and these couple of gigs uh, because with that money we were then paying our rent so the rent was a small part i think the larger part was the salaries that we had to pay so, uh, they were not very expensive resources but of course they they had to be paid on time and what were they doing they were doing the merchant sign up yeah they were largely doing the merchant sign up and i think there was apart from so weber was the uh, was the tech person I think he had one more person like an intern or so to uh, who was supporting him but everybody else was essentially largely on merchant and there was one customer support it was extremely strenuous to do it because you know your days would should be super long but i think that is a part and parcel of you know doing a startup uh, but the other bigger problem was that not all of your time is going into your startup because now suddenly as i said you know 4 hours of teaching every day and teaching and that's the first time i realized how hard teaching is it is extremely exhausting uh, i had a lot of respect for my mother who's a teacher and all the other teachers one of the kind of one of the things that would always keep eating me is that you know um, there is a good amount of time that i am not giving to the business because of the financial condition and i'm actually uh, you know doing other things uh, just to generate cash and i always just to question myself about how smart is it or uh, am i even given enough time right so that was always the existential question back then but there was no other option so that that's why we kept doing it and between me and weber what we decided was that you know both of us kind of try and do part time gigs is not going to work out one of us will so that's why i said i will and while his entire focus should be on the business and you know 
reading the product and getting stuff done and signing up merchants and stuff like that while i also try and generate some cash for us uh, so we so we did that i think uh, the whole couponing side of it would have gone for one and a half years or a little more that and and that's when we realized that you know this is uh, this is not going to go anywhere i mean you can keep signing up brands but that whole hope that we had of you know brands paying you at some point in time is not going to happen because our perceived value to them is very very little so that that balance of power is always tilted in their benefit so we decided that you know no point in continuing to do this uh, and and interestingly i remember this because there was this uh, conversation we were having with with barista you know the coffee shop so with their marketing head and so he said like you know your young kids you guys are trying to do something that is very tough as a, you know we were talking and and one of the things we realized then was that the marketing teams in these brands or it was very hard for them to you know keep track of their marketing communications so marketing automation as we call it today they would send emails they would send smss facebook was just about starting then but orkut was quite popular back then or or there was a transition let's say from orkut to facebook that was happening so you know managing those community pages so they were all completely dependent on agencies to do it and and they had very little visibility in terms of what was happening there were some problems that we saw or it, then it did not appear to us as problems but we we uh, this did come across from this conversation with barista and then we kind of validated that across the other brands that we were working with and we realized that you know there was no technology or no product that any of them were using to drive these communication it was not a i won't say it was a big problem for them but it was a problem nevertheless so what we did was now because uh, you know the way we had built zipify there was always is a merchant sign up so you know as a merchant you could sign into the platform and you could just upload your coupons our whole vision was that it should become a self service but let businesses do it themselves and we also wanted local businesses smaller businesses to start coming and doing it so that's how it was built that way now because we already had this uh, you know this platform where a merchant could sign in and put out communication put out their deals we decided to you know pilot it with a few customers where we said that we we going to give it to you for free uh, and we said that okay can this platform essentially become where they can manage a lot of their marketing communications so the smss that they send out the emails that they send out the social media you know postings that they do right can this be a place where you know they can collaborate with their team members they can just put it out there um, you know it can get reviewed when it comes to smss or emails it can just be a single click from there that pushes out the campaign but that started seeing adoption with brands uh, with the brands that we are working with and slowly they were even uh, ready to you know start paying us for it and that i think was a was a big opportunity for or was a breakthrough moment for us because until then we had not figured out any way of making money first time that we had clients saying that okay you know we can think about paying for this but what this also meant was that now you know because we were working with all these brands all of them had their own set of customized requests coming in uh, while 80% was lar- largely be the same but everybody had that last mile 20% that they wanted to do and then you know because of our immaturity as entrepreneurs we would kind of take take the line that whatever it takes to please a customer but today of course you would think very differently about it right uh, but then we were immature and we said that okay you know uh, our objective right now is to kind of please/delight the customer 
So that 20% is extremely important and let's go start building it. But these 90, 100 brands had their own set of 20% requirements and we did not have a large enough team to build that out. Uh, you know, even with all the teaching at time and all, uh, you know, not as if we could have recruited another 10 engineers or, you know, stuff like that. So that's when we started, uh, you know, working with, uh, and this came through a personal contact. There was this technology company, uh, HBS, uh, based out of uh, Bangalore, Kerala and US. So we started working with them, uh, you know, so we were kind of outsourcing it parts of the development and because this was this came through a personal contact we had some uh, favorable terms in terms of payments and stuff uh, all of those things were there and that's what we started doing now this company that we were outsourcing it to was already a product company or they had both product and services but they were trying to transition from a services to a product company and their whole focus was around uh, you know uh, building a mini ERP for organization for much enterprise and they started supporting us in in this development and over a period of time as more and more work started happening but it's not as if you know we had definitely proven the point that you know this can start generating big revenues or uh, meaningful revenue uh, but they kind of indicated interest when they said that they wanted to you know acquire zipify as a product and uh, you know integrate it with their erp that they were building and and start selling that to global clients so this happened i think around uh, mid of 2010 or yeah around that time so roughly about three and a half years after we started up I and mean, of course there was a there was some kind of you know uh, it was a transaction that was happening so there was some amount of money to be made very little but still you know we at, at least for those three and a half years we've not seen any money we were also kind of getting a little bogged down now when we started out we were uh, whatever 24 25 but now we were approaching 30 and some other pressures and milestones so so we knew that that was approaching and you know we, we, we were a little unsure uh, in terms of where we were with our careers and my co-founder Weber really wanted to pursue masters. So, so we, what we decided was that, okay, let's let's take whatever money we get, let's sell the product, and, and then we'll see what we have to do from there on. So so that's how around mid of 2010 is when Zipify kind of was done. How much cash did you have? Are you at liberty to? Uh, I think uh, then, uh, see, there were a bunch of things. One is that I had an educational loan running for uh, you know, for MPI. So that's the first thing. So I think overall, uh, you know, it was, I would say, a few tens of lakhs that we were able to make, both of us. But again, as I said, I mean, today, probably, if you are a SaaS startup and if you have a product market fit, depends upon what you call a product market fit, you can probably maybe ask for any multiples. Then we did not know any of it. And, and you have to also kind of imagine that we, you know, till that point, that we had seen no money. Even even like 20 lakh was a really big amount for us. <laughs> get the hell out. You know, you're getting it. Take, uh, and we figure out what to do with it. So I think uh, I cleared out the loan, paid paid by friends and family. Yeah, bought a car for my parents. So those were things that happened around that time. So then after that, you know, I, uh, there was a little bit of confidence, I think that, uh, that I'd gained because, you know, uh, in those three, three and a half years, there were many, many times when things looked so abysmal that, you know, I was not even sure how long would I be able to continue. They were largely abysmal, uh, not because I was not enjoying the journey, but it was largely abysmal because of financial pressure and financial conditions. So having kind of come out of that, though in a small way, uh, gave confidence that it's possible. In those years, actually, I used to talk to, you know, other much more senior mentors and entrepreneurs. So I'll, I'll give you an example. Like uh, through MDI, I had the opportunity to interact 
interact with Mr. Sanjeev Vikchandani a couple of times. So one of the things that he said, uh, which uh, I think even today I truly believe in, is that ultimately all of this is a question of uh, perseverance. You may be uh, well-funded, you may be smarter or more intelligent than many others. All of that can give you some benefit. Can probably think of if you think of it like a race. Uh, you know, you could probably be starting a few steps ahead of others. But ultimately, this race is so long that you know the only ones who succeed are the ones who persevere. So that is something that you know I after this experience at Zetify, right? My my kind of confidence in that thought was reinforced. Now I, I was very sure that I don't want to take up a job. Whatever struggle that I went through and the little success that I had at the end of the day, I was fairly certain that uh, I want to continue on you know on on the entrepreneurship path. And and by then you know by 2010 2011 Indian entrepreneurial scene also started kind of you know shaping up. You know I think Flipkart around 2010 is when they raised one big round and you know there was so stuff started happening right. You would read TechCrunch and all of that so you would see what is happening elsewhere. So there was more and more interest. So I decided that uh, you know this is something I want to do. I don't want to take a job. I have to figure out what should I be doing next. So then I I started looking. Uh, I started talking to more people. I started looking at different opportunities. Uh, what should be the areas uh, that I should consider in terms of starting up. There was this uh, school friend of mine who had graduated from uh, I am Ahmedabad, and um, he had also you know not sat for placements uh, at IMA and started up. Um, you know, and I had done the same thing from MDI. So he was looking to do his next venture, which was all around um, solar solar based LED lighting. And and he was an electrical engineer from IIT and then you know an MBA. So he knew the tech stuff behind it. Around that time, there was a lot of talk around uh, you know solar, not lighting as such, but solar uh, power generation for India and uh, around 2011. So that was one thing that I seriously considered. Uh, that joining hands with him, you know, joining him as a co-founder and trying to uh, build that venture. So I went and even worked with him for about I think three four months. Not not really as a co-founder, but just to go and try and understand what this opportunity means. And you know, in those three four months of working there, what I realized is that the opportunity for sure is real. You know, it makes a ton of sense, and now it makes it makes even more sense. In fact, his venture is doing very well as well. But what I realized is that I have very little to contribute. Uh, though I like the opportunity, I was not very sure in terms of what can I do about it. And that's when I also got to talk to another batchmate from MDI. Uh, his name was Gautam. So Gautam then was working in Bombay in a consulting company, and uh, Gautam and his brother, this Mohan, then was the managing director at Tiger, Tiger Global in India. They wanted to basically, uh, you know, set up a business school in Gurgaon, which was focused around energy management. I thought that was very interesting because on one side, I had, you know, uh, by working in in that French startup in for three months, I had seen how acute a problem our country faced in terms of energy, right? And how renewable energy was could be the future, provided few other things fell in place. So that opportunity was there. And and when I spoke to Gautam, uh, you know, he wanted to set up a business school that focuses purely on that. And education is something that was I won't say it was a business interest. It was a it was a well formed out business interest. But education is something that I think, like most people, I've been very passionate about. So it always felt good when you could contribute through teaching or contribute, uh, you know, by giving good education. The most pleasant memories at time would always be about the, your students from a batch. you know cat and doing well so i think that had anyways kind of kindled interest in education and this was an opportunity to work with them on setting up a business school so i i thought let me give it a shot and it gives me an opportunity to also understand education 
uh, from an entrepreneur's perspective. So that's how I, I got attached to that team. We I was part of the the management team that was setting up this business school in Gurgaon. I joined as, uh, you know, as the senior member of the team, uh, you know, trying to understand or trying to set up the school. And the understanding was always that, you know, if I'm contributing, then, you know, in, at a future date, there will be equity. So I did that. Uh, that was also very entrepreneurial because, you know, we were just starting up and you had a lot of freedom and you essentially, it's, it's like, you know, setting up something right from scratch. So, uh, so I was part of that for 2010 to 2012. So you joined the uh, Institute of Energy Management as a part of the leadership team in setting up that B-School. So when did it become uh, Great Lakes? In 2011, uh, you know, IEMR, Institute of Energy Management and Research and Great Lakes, uh, uh, there was a merger that happened. And then this institute in Gurgaon was uh, rebranded as Great Lakes Gurgaon. So Great Lakes till then was in Chennai and they were looking to expand. And that's how uh, Mohan got in touch with Dr. Bala, who was the founder and dean of Great Lakes. And, uh, you know, Mohan uh, put in money and also got this merger done. We were able to bring Great Lakes to Gurgaon. So in 2012, uh, you know, after about two years of running, setting up the business school and then bringing Great Lakes to Gurgaon, Mohan and I got talking. That was also the time when Coursera uh, or, or this whole MOOC revolution had started with Coursera and others. We said that, you know, there is a massive opportunity in India when it comes to executive education, because until then, executive education in India was largely delivered through, uh, you know, few institutions and their programs were almost always completely campus based. And they were still catering to a very, very small set of, uh, you know, audience or a small set of professionals. The opportunity that we saw was that, uh, you know, India has probably the world's largest, if not one of the world's largest set of working professionals, skilled professionals, whereas when it came to options of executive education, we were very, very underserved. And there was a huge problem in quality as well. So apart from, let's say, a few handful of good institutions that were providing good quality executive education, and there was also not enough uh, given the number of skilled professions that we have. So that's when we said that, you know, let's start Great Learning, you know, which focuses completely on executive education for working professionals. Let's try and identify areas where we know that there is an industry surge that is coming up or is already there and it is uh, it is very underserved when it comes to programs or executive education options in those skill areas. Uh, so that's how we started Great Learning and we started with analytics as our domain. And it was an online play right from the original conception, like you wanted an online education it was not an online play back then. It was a blended play, which means about 50% was online and 50% was through weekend classroom sessions. It was very hard for people to accept online learning in 2012. So while MOOCs were gaining prominence and MOOCs were completely online, but then MOOCs were free. Nobody had to pay anything uh, for them, you know. And and when you're free, you know, when you offer a product or a service for free, people will surely try it out. But what we very quickly saw was that you know the percentage of completion on MOOCs was uh, was very very poor. And continues to be very poor for that matter right it's like six percent seven percent of learners really complete that program so we did not want to do that we wanted to impart education that actually transforms their careers but at the same time not look at uh, you know something that is completely campus-based so we wanted to do what we called a blended approach where 50 percent is online and 50 percent happens through live teaching in classroom over weekends uh, and that's how we started that you know rather than let's say doing an mba program like an executive mba program can we look at uh, an emerging 
emerging skill where where there is not a lot of competition where we can quickly kind of uh, you know establish our quality and our credentials in that in that market we're talking to a bunch of industry leaders we identified that analytics then was something that was uh, that was growing in demand companies were uh, really struggling in terms of having analytics trained talent and uh, and we started our first program first of all that's how great learning started and then we started our first program in analytics so this was our first batch or cohort launched in november 2013 so even today that that is what we celebrated great, great learning as a foundation day it was the day that our first cohort got launched okay and how many students in the first cohort so the first cohort had 28 students how did you acquire these students so these students were acquired uh, you know we would do digital marketing uh, so google and facebook predominantly and we really did not have much of a sales team per se but there there was me and there were you know a couple more people four of us we would take these calls talk and they were all very very senior professionals so there was no point in hard selling them but we would try and uh, explain to them as to why is it important to learn analytics why is the program a, a good choice for them uh, you know it was around the same time that we launched this program there was also isv with its analytics you know executive program in analytics and there was also iim bangalore uh, so all all these three programs started around the same time i think in a span of 5 or 6 months here and there uh, but those were really the only options uh, that were there though our first cohort was actually in gurgaon so what that means is that to attend those physical classes you had to come to gurgaon what we saw in the set of uh, in this first batch of 28 that we launched that more than half of them were actually not even in ncr so there were people from bangalore from chennai from hyderabad we had a few learners from dubai abu dhabi and singapore who would fly in every month uh, to come and attend classes and that kind of gave us a sense that you know there is something much larger at play and and excellent 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 profiles you know most of them were all uh, with more than 10 years of experience uh, across industries uh, technology consulting automobile manufacturing and how much were you charging them for the course I think when we started we were charging about uh, 3 lakhs if I'm not wrong so there were a few things that you know that we had kind of ingrained as our tenets uh, when we started great learning uh, on the business side the first and foremost thing was that we are going to build a business with solid unit economics right we did not want to we were very particular about that that you know we did not want to build a business where there were no unit economics and we wanted to build a business that was sustainable then the other tenet that we very strongly believed in even now believe in is that you know for education to be meaningful uh, it cannot be superficial so there's no point in trying to teach people r back then it was sas and r and now it's python just trying to teach people these tools and tell them that they've learned analytics or data science uh, so it you know if it truly has to bring about a difference in their careers uh, you know it has to be a very uh, meaningful and exhaustive learning experience we were certain that you know you really cannot learn analytics in 10 days and and if you have to learn it you need time uh, so which is why we went with a longer format uh, we went with a price premium such that you know such that it makes sense uh, to run this as a business and and the third uh, thing that we said was uh, you know quality over growth always we never kind of said that oh you know if first cohort is 28 then you know in two years it should become you know 2800 or 28000 uh, we said that you know we need to figure out how to teach people well uh, we need to figure out that they learn very well and unless and until that piece of the puzzle is solved uh, that you know we know what it takes to help people learn well uh, you know we are not going to chase growth just for the heck of it
in our journey at great learning from 2013 to 20 almost 2016 2017 we only had one program we only had this analytics program um you know and and we kept launching it in more and more cities um but having said that it is not as if we pursued an exponential growth it was still incremental growth those first 3 4 years our entire focus was on how do we figure out how to deliver uh, these learning experiences and how do we ensure that once candidates come and learn from us they get meaningful career outcomes or meaningful career growth right so first 3 4 years was completely spent on just solving those very foundation uh, aspects uh, so i think by around 2017 itself this analyt and we only had that analytics program and that analytics program was catering to about 1000 odd learners in a year and in india that was the the largest executive program of any kind once we hit that milestone right we were more confident that okay now we have a playbook we know what it takes to deliver we know the constraints we know the problems uh, we know how to solve them right and now there is more confidence of scaling it up that is where you know our so from 2017 really is when we started scaling up by adding online programs by adding more programs in general being more aggressive in marketing uh, so from there just last calendar year we had about 18 to 20000 learners so how do you think it became the largest uh, executive program was it word of mouth was it uh, smart marketing uh, you know w- what helped you reach that hill i think it was largely word of mouth i would not kind of say that we were smarter in marketing than many others of course you know at that point then in those formative years we were largely competing with educational institutions uh, and not tech companies today we are competing with tech companies but then there were not as many tech companies it was largely traditional educational institutions such as an iim or an isb or other institutions of course they would not put that kind of effort to market whereas we would so from that sense yes we were much better in marketing they had a much much bigger brand and you you know you really cannot compete with a brand of an i am bangalore you know we had in terms of marketing we were more nimble and more aggressive in reaching out what ultimately really worked to our advantage was i think a understanding the consumer better and b word of mouth so what i mean by understanding the consumer better is that the way you know traditional educational institutions look at these executive programs is that many of them are a derivative of you know what is being done on campus because of that what happens is that uh, you know it always doesn't sync with what that uh, professional wants to learn or what kind of career aspirations he or she has and and that was the opportunity for us right we were not constrained in that sense we could change the curriculum every 6 months and we did so the way the industry kind of uh, in analytics right we were always the first to change that was that was something that really helped us that we used to our advantage second bit was word of mouth now because this part was working because the delivery was working and people were having you know a good outcomes and a very meaningful learning experience uh, you know word started spreading so there were countless cases uh, then of you know people recommending their peers so like that we started seeing a lot of benefits in terms of word of mouth and referrals that is essentially what uh, took the program from 28 to 1000 learners you know in a span of whatever 3 years or so So in that initial cohort of 28 uh, what was the conversion ratio like how many leads had you got out of which how many converted oh i have uh, no idea about that today 
but I'm sure it would be a fraction of what it is today. See, what I do remember is that uh, in that first cohort, you know, there were a lot of, you know, one of the first questions we had to address and answer was, why should you be upskilling? Today, that question doesn't have to be answered. But then, uh, you know, we had to actually face that battle first. That, listen, you should be upskilling and this is why you should be upskilling. And then it would come to, you know, why should you be upskilling in analytics? And then it, it will come to, why should you be upskilling in this program by great one? Today, I think the first two questions are answered. A lot of professionals understand that they have to upskill. You know, we don't have to, you know, market those skills and we don't have to market the necessity of upskilling. Those two questions are now answered largely. What we still need to, of course, answer is, you know, why is great learning the right option for them? So it's a much more refined and a bounded problem now, right? That back then. Is your sales operations like a very human intensive or is it like largely a lot of sales just happen online or, you know, how, how does that happen? See, at our price points, uh, though we have experimented multiple times and what we've realized is that first, there are two things at play. First of all, when it comes to education, people want to talk. They want to, while you may put all the information you have on your website, but they will still want to talk to you uh, more from an aspect of verifying whether everything that you've put out there is is indeed the case or not. In the case of, you know, an Amazon or a Flipkart or a, you know, or a Zomato or most of these things, what you see is what you get. But in education, uh, you know, because of the way historically it has happened in our country, consumers don't always believe that what you see is what you get. So they want to talk. They want to talk to you they want to talk to past learners they want to do their research all of that will happen and that that i think exists in education and the only way that will change uh, there are more and more high quality education players is that that starts becoming the norm uh, so that is one the other aspect of why it has never worked as a checkout funnel is because of the price point, right? So the price points at which we are operating, our average program price uh, is a few lakhs, right? But it can range anywhere between 1.5 or 1 lakh to all the way up to 4.5, 5 lakhs. At that price point, uh, you know, people are not going to do a checkout. It is a very involved purchase. Uh, so yeah, so to answer your question, there is a human element involved. Email communication, informative emails that go, uh, you know, we have counseling. Uh, that talk to prospects, multiple conversations that happen. So it's not as if in one conversation, a person will be convinced. And there is a certain sales cycle. You know, it takes our average sales cycle is about uh, 10 to 15 days that it takes uh, you know, for a person to convert. And you continue to send emails to people who fill up a form, like an inquiry form. Yeah, yeah. We uh, So for us, that nurturing and engagement is extremely important because it is, as I said, it's a very involved purchase. So we do a lot of it for nurturing. We, we apart from emails, we do a lot of webinars. Uh, now we have a very, very active YouTube channel, uh, you know, where we post uh, some learning content almost on a daily basis. You know, that is received very well. Uh, we do a lot of these, uh, you know, industry talks. Uh, we have now uh, recently launched uh, what we call as Great Learning Academy, wherein um, we have over 85 courses that are that have been opened up for free. So free content. But what is the business logic for doing that uh, free courses? So free courses, the logic is that, uh, see, because what we do in terms of our paid courses is that it is all packaged, what we call as a structured learning format. You will know exactly what you have to do week on week for the next 12 months or six months, whatever the duration of the program. And you will go from point A to point B. There are a lot of people who are not convinced about taking that that big you know commitment right now. And when I say commitment, it could be in terms of uh, price. It could be in terms of time commitment or it could even be in terms of, you know, interest in that area. Right. So what we decided is that, OK, 
you know we will give you uh, you know free courses uh, and these are much shorter you know bite size snackable content that you consume and and you will you will definitely learn something and you see whether it is for yourself you know that's what we did so that is the logic that you know uh, you know increasingly more and more of them will come towards our package programs as well have you uh, raised funding so far or has there been no need for it like it's been profitable from day one yeah so uh, since that was the tenet that we based it on right unit economics the business has always been profitable right from year one and that was one of the things that we were very particular about that what we said is that we will raise money but we will raise it on our terms you know we want to retain that call it flexibility or call it you know control of vision which is the reason why so far you know we've not uh, because the business has been generating cash and and you know we have been growing more than 100% ever since inception but in the last 6 7 months we've been talking to a lot of investors there have been a lot of there's been a lot of inbound interest kind of heightened even more now so as things stand uh, we are still engaging in those conversations we are involved in those conversations the reason for raising is different uh, there are a couple of growth directions that we want to pursue so right now the option would be to take it out of reserves and put it while part of it will happen like that but you know we, we still need additional capital there are also uh, initiatives such as you know we want to build a brand we've not done a whole lot when it comes to that for great learning and there is also uh, opportunity that we see towards consolidation in organic growth uh, so acquisitions as such and and that actually is one of the key reasons for us to uh, wanting to raise right now but even then it will still happen at our terms we still not willing to compromise in terms of the direction the organization should take so so all the conversations are around that see what has happened in the last kind of 3 4 years in the edtech and i'm talking again only about the professional segment competition has increased a lot just with any other market or market opportunity smaller players are are finding it very tough to sustain and we'll find it tougher as as time progresses so there are a lot of deals to be had we have been getting a lot of inbound interest uh, you know over the last one year now but our kind of approach is is very straightforward we want to acquire businesses or organizations where you know we are getting some complementary skill that we don't have it could either be you know in a certain segment where we don't operate or it could be a specific skill set that we don't have right uh, we are not going to acquire to grow scale point being that we we don't want to acquire to get customers that is what we are uh, evaluating right now across various organizations so uh, what is hari learning personally right now and you know all entrepreneurs are essentially learning machines and they are driven by learning so what is it that you are personally learning right now or things which excite you right now that you want to learn great question so right now currently what i am learning is a lot about um you know how do you build organizations at scale um so what i mean by that in an entrepreneur's lifespan what happens is that when you when you start and as you grow you have a lot of control on what is happening and that that feeds your knowledge that feeds your decision making so on and so forth and there are certain processes you set up whether it is for tracking or whether it is for growth whatever it be there that take you from let's say you know 1 to 10 from 0 to 1 first and then from 1 to 10 but now when the journey that has to be made is from a 10 to a 1000 uh, what you realize is that two things first of all you won't have that clear line of sight uh, because you're now going to be leading much larger teams much larger organizations right and 
possibility has to be divided there will be other people who have to do what you are doing and probably they'll do a better job at it that is your job as a leader right that the people that you have are going to do a better job than what you were doing and the second bit is that the processes that you set up or the processes that you were banking right that took you from a 1 to 10 will not take you from a 10 to 1000 while you may not have a clear line of sight the action on the ground how do you build systems and processes such that you are not disconnected right from your customer those are the challenges that you know uh, i am facing as an entrepreneur today because we are at that you know we are making that journey from a 10 to a 1000 so my learning right now is largely from reading reading listening uh, you know listening to podcasts and of course talking to other entrepreneurs So that was how Hari built up one of India's largest edtech companies that is not only growing fast but is also profitable. If you want to benefit from some of the free courses that Great Learning offers, then do check out the Great Learning app. If you like the Founder Thesis podcast, then do check out our other shows on subjects like marketing, technology, career advice, books, and drama. Visit thepodium.in. That is t h e p o d i u m dot i n for a complete list of all our shows. This was an HD Smartcast original. HD Smartcast. Log on to hdsmartcast.com to listen to more such podcasts.